0: On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for thirty-five years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest podcast. Let's get started. DealQuest community, I'm excited to bring you another solo cast. I was doing a lot of thinking. I'm recording this not long after I got back from the Middle East. Uh, this will will release uh, probably a couple of months later. So, but in 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 April into May of this year of 2023, I spent time in the Middle East. I was in Israel in Jerusalem. I was in the West Bank in various cities doing uh, homestays with Palestinian families. I was in Jordan at a at a resort. Uh, Beautiful zone on Dead Sea. So I had like a whole variety of experiences, uh, and I've been to uh, Jerusalem a couple of times before. I've been to the West Bank uh, once before, and and the reason I bring this up is not just to talk to you about my trip. You know, as uh, you know, in general. But you know, I was thinking about it made me think about deals. It made me think about negotiations. Obviously, that part of the world is so complex, uh, and and I'm not saying I'm going to do it in any way justice. I'm certainly not going to solve the Israeli Palestinian crisis, uh, you know, issues or or any of the other issues that happen in the Middle East. And I'm certainly not a uh, an international peace negotiator. Although you know, very significantly and profoundly for me, the last time I was in. Israel and worked through the Palestinian territories, through the West Bank, various places, was with a amazing international peace negotiator, William Yurie, who co-wrote the uh, book "Getting the Classic Negotiating Book Getting TS," yes, amongst others, a Harvard project on negotiating, and and he actually is the guy that goes into those kind of situations with major international conflicts and negotiates those uh, to resolution, and it's it's fascinating, right, because. Those are such high stakes situations with very entrenched dynamics, whether it's history, whether it's power, whether it's different camps that have dug in and taken sides. Uh, Certainly, there's international views on each, right? I mean, clearly, truly, nearly in the Israeli-Palestinian situation. And the reason it comes to mind is because being there, you know, and being a deal guy who and negotiating guy, he does it much more in the context of business. You know, I always sort of think about these things, and I do believe that there are some parallels. Because the main reason that there are parallels uh, is because humans are involved, right? So when there's humanity involved, people's issues, people's views, people's rigidity, entrenchment, and and people's reactions and impact it, whether it's a business deal or whether it's you know an international situation. Now, I'm not trying to equate the two. I mean, for me, helping clients get deals done in business context is super important. And I I think they are important to the employees and they're important to the future of people's families and things like that. But they certainly don't rise to the level of international negotiations that can avoid war or genocide or things like that. So the reason I'm drawing some parallels is not because uh, they're on equivalent scale or importance to humanity, but because there, there are so many similarities, right? so one of the things i find whether it's when i'm in the region or certainly when i talk to friends of mine and i i feel i'm very very blessed because i get to spend time with a lot of people of a lot of diverse backgrounds and i certainly have many many you know jewish friends and i'm of jewish descent on, on all ends of the political spectrum and you know in all levels of relationship or lack thereof with with israel or knowledge of the israeli palestinian situation and you know, I hear their viewpoints. I have Palestinian friends and people of Arabic descent and people from various other you know countries and you know in, in the Middle East uh of Arabic descent, and I hear their views, you know, on it. And the thing that I'm very present to is how some of them, not all of them, some of them, their views are just very hardened and very entrenched. And it's similar to what we see in terms of politics in the US or You know, right versus left, conservative versus liberal, the Republican versus Democrat, whatever it is these days, where, you know, it's less critical thinking about the particular issue. But you can predict what their view is going to be on something because, you know, they're filters. Right. As humans, everything we do comes through a filter and it's a filter of our life experiences, a filter of our viewpoints, our beliefs, what we have been trained to believe, what we may have grown up with. Maybe what is brain science now that shows that repetitive? I mean, they always, you know, they, they've said this for a while in terms of like interrogation or brainwashing, but certainly, you know, when we're in our news bubbles and we hear things over and over and over again, there are actually brain synapses, connections that are made that there's chemical reasons, other reasons why we get in, more entrenched now in, in our positions, you know, which is scary. And when, it, and when it's through, been through generations, you know, like it has been in the, in the Middle East, then it becomes tough, right? And we see this in all, you know, in all types of deals, including business deals. Now, I don't know that the, I mean, the entrenchment, the reasons don't go back as far as not as deep, but people get in a position, right? They get hardened in a position in a negotiation. And a lot of times, or some of the times, at least, that hardening doesn't really come from a analysis of, you know, a a sort of open and nuanced and thoughtful analysis of the particular issue at hand. You know, one of the things I talk about in my authentic negotiating book is, you know, getting clarity, right? Total clarity on every exactly what you what you want, what you don't want, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, but not from a place of reaction or upset or ego, ego or anger or scarcity, but from a place of clarity on what's truly aligned for yourself and your company and, you know, your your, your organization, whatever it is. And it comes from a very different place. And then I talk about how one of the one of the deal killers, right? One of the reasons why deals fail is rigidity, right? And I make this distinction between clarity, where you're willing to walk from a deal if things don't line up with what works for you, right? And rigidity, which some people say, well, wait, if you if you want to walk and you're clear and acceptable, what's the difference? Well, the difference is rigidity has a different energy, right? Clarity comes from a very true place. And There's no anger or upset around with it. Your negotiating partner is not a jerk. You don't hate the other people because you have a different viewpoint. You're just clear and it's not going to work for you. It's all okay. When, you know, rigidity has some of this. And for those of you on the audio version, I'm clenching my fists and holding them up because there's a different energy to it, right? And what I I find when you talk to people about some of these international issues, certainly in the Middle East, there's a lot of rigidity. There's a lot of... This, you know, I'm not even saying violence wise, just tension wise, right? It's so, so ingrained in them. And when you have that kind of position, it's very, very hard to, you know, to move. You, you know, you've seen in various places, whether it's in South Africa with apartheid or whether it's, you know, with the English and, you know, the the Irish, you know, Northern Ireland. It was like that for so long. And it took something to break it. It took great leadership. It took international pressure. It took whatever it was, right? For those viewpoints to change, but they can change. So, you know, it's palpable. And, and the thing about it in the Middle East is that everybody has evidence for their position. And, and they do have evidence, right? The Jews have evidence for times that, 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 you know, they've been attacked and, you know, and bombed and whatever. And there's also a sort of mentality of going back, you know, hundreds, hundreds, thousands of years, you know, in Jewish history of sort of always getting kicked out, never really having Jews having their own place. And it's not just Nazi Germany. It's the Russian programs in Spain in the 1400s. It's, you know, it's so so finally having a state, right? Having a place is something that's very meaningful and very special for that. And, and, and Israel was formed at a the time there's been improved relations for a lot of the Arab countries, but at the time it was formed, they were pretty much surrounded by hostile neighbors who didn't want them to exist in large part. So that's sort of the entrenched mentality that that gets passed forward. You know, on the flip side, you've got, you know, you've got the Palestinians who feel uh, like the Jews do, that they're historically entitled to this land, that their people were there. And certainly, even without that, when the state of Israel was formed, they, you know, they were living there and uh, some of them got displaced. They got under occupation. Right. They don't have their, their own place either. And now there are various restrictions that are in place that affect their lives day to day, checkpoints, things they got to go to, rights that they don't have, the Israeli citizens have, things like that, right? Now, listen, I want to make clear here, I, I don't want anybody who has strong opinions on the particular issue of the Israelis and, and, and Palestinians to attack me here. I am not saying I'm making any comprehensive or or even you know fully thought out view of that particular crisis. I'm just trying to set up at a very, you know, high level, some of the things that have people feel the way they do and feel passionate about it and feel entrenched about it and have evidence in their minds of the rightness of their position. Because that's what is the commonality that happens sometimes in a negotiation, even a business negotiation, you know, for, for, for a deal or any other kind of negotiation that comes from, you know, other places. And again, not, not at an equivalent level. But but that same sort of human nature, right, to take certain things, to have certain filters through which we see things, uh, sometimes that prevent us to have the ability to to look at things anew and try to get past, you know, by the past and come up with creative new solutions. The other thing that happens there also, which is relevant, is that. A lot of the issues that actually prevent a solution are often actually not with the majority of the people, right? But it's with the quote-unquote leadership of each side, which may have their own agenda and their own reasons why they actually don't want things to get resolved or why they want to take a certain position, whether whether it's getting elected or whether it's, you know, whatever it might be, right? And that happens in business as well, right? Sometimes there are folks who have their own agenda, Right. Where they are looking to sabotage the situation, right? You might have leadership that says, "Hey, let's get these two companies together. Let's do a joint venture, or merger, or an acquisition." And you know, maybe there's somebody on the team that feels threatened by that because they may lose their job or position, or they are uh, they worried about what's going to happen, and maybe they find why, ways to sabotage. So, you know, part of the other thing that's that's true in human nature and any kind of negotiation or deal, whether it's, you know, very significant international things or deals, is that people's individual agendas as humans and their concerns and their fears and their other issues come into play, you know, in deals. And and how do you manage that? And how do you recognize that? You know, to say maybe that's not really the best thing for everybody involved, but that may be one person's fear or agenda or issue or things like that. So that's one of the one of the other, you know, commonalities. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com assessment. That's coreycupfer.com assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. I will say that there are certainly organizations that are really working to try to you know break the deadlock there to find solutions to work together to bring people together, and you know some of them are trying to be intermediaries, whether it's other countries or whether it's uh, non, you know NGOs or things like that, and that you know the parallel to uh, to business negotiations and deals especially in, in a dispute situation because it, it happens in all kinds of deals but certainly may, maybe the deal is that you're looking to do is to divide a partnership or right, in a business partnership where there's emotion involved and upset amongst the partners or some other kind of business relationship and you know often it's helpful to have some sort of intermediary, right I mean, it's not going to be in the country or a big NGO, but maybe it's you know, a mediator, an arbitrator, a trusted, you know, person, somebody who's on the board of advisors, you know, somebody who can give you an objective view and have you step back because your position may be so entrenched, because your viewpoint may be coming through a certain filter, you know, that will help facilitate something, you know, happening and take a longer term view or have people step back, be able to take a breath. You know, that's another sort of, you know, commonality in that, you know, you hear in international peace stuff, people, you know, Brokering peace deals, right? You know, whether it's somebody like William U- William Yuri or it's other countries coming in to have uh, trilateral negotiations, there's a reason why that's done, and those underlying reasons are sometimes similar to what would be appropriate in a in a business deal. In fact, you know, one of the things we've done uh, many times, and including a couple of times very recently, uh, is we've had partnerships with UPS where there was tension. You know, could have in the worst case ended up in litigation. But the parties are smart enough to say, "Hey, I, I don't think we can resolve this on our own. Let's bring in Corey. Let's bring in comfort Associates. Not as an attorney, because sometimes we'll be an attorney representing one side or the other, not in litigation, but maybe in a, a disputed negotiation with there's a lawyer on the other side. But there were times when we we're brought in to represent the entity and to try to serve both parties, almost more like a, like a mediator or a facilitator." to try to help them come to a deal that you know, we can then document. Now, for conflict reasons, they may get their own attorneys to take a look at it, It's we're not representing either side individually, but because we're not representing either side individually, we can help, so facilitate, and we've been successful at that over the years, and certainly you know, in two recent cases, it got great results, to allow those business partners to move on. And being that intermediary, being that reasonable voice, being that, that, that person that doesn't have a vested interest in either side really can make a difference. And that's why, you know, it works in in some business situations. And that's similar to why you have tri-party negotiations or, you know, or 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 peace negotiators who come and try to, you know, you use shuttle diplomacy, right? That's sort of gone back and forth. You know, I I've done that kind of shuttle diplomacy equivalent in business where, you know, sometimes, I mean, sometimes, you know, we we speak with all parties on the line. You know, but sometimes we'll, you know, we'll go back and forth. In fact, very, very often, in most cases, we did in these last couple of cases, I mean, obviously, I'll have a conversation with both or all parties in the beginning because they have to decide to engage us. But then often, one of the first things we do is I'll have an individual conversation with each of the partners, right, separately. Uh, and with an understanding that I will keep this confidential, that we will not release any of this information that they share with me, what their desires or what they want to get out of it unless and until we have an agreement with them that we will at an appropriate time in the process. But if I don't know what each of them are looking for and what they really want, and what their concerns are, then it's tough to help facilitate it coming together. So in that case, it's not information that they would share with the other side, but sharing it with me as a neutral party with a promise that will be kept confidential until we agree to reveal it to the other side Makes them more comfortable, and it and, and it helps me be able to see how far apart these people really are. What do they really care about? And I can see then the road to bringing them together. If if I don't get that clear information on what they both each want initially through separate discussions, then you know it'd be near impossible to help get a deal done because I have no idea where they're going. So the business equivalent of shuttle diplomacy, or uh, you know, or or those high level kind of you know kind of negotiations. It's interesting to me because. This wasn't just sort of an intellectual thing that came up for me to bring these uh, this discussion. You know, sort of being immersed in deals every day, and you know, and sort of in that business world, literally every day. And then going to a place like the Middle East, and you want to talk about being immersed. Um, it's just palpable, right? Everything about the place palpable, especially if you spend time with the different communities, right? Not just you know with one side by the other. And and then the other thing that, you know, is, and I've said this with, through all my travels, whatever, that I'm so aware of, is that when we talk about the Israelis, or the Palestinians, and we talk, you know, we make these generalizations, obviously any generalization is not true. So any assumption we make about a group, and that could be true about a company, it could be true about an industry, a business certainly about a people, about a culture. None of those peoples and cultures are monolithic. There are different views within them. And very, very often, uh, their desires as individuals are very, very different than what we hear, because what we hear is the is the quote-unquote leadership, right? The, the politicians, the people that have an agenda, and those are the ones, you know, they're, they're not speaking to the average Palestinian family or Israeli family or, you know, they're not even talking about the fact that, wait a second, the Palestinians have... Palestinian Muslims and Christians, right? And they definitely, amongst them, and even within those particular groups, have different views, right? You know, there's not a nuanced thought. There's like a supposedly a Palestinian position, an Israeli position, right? But the, but the average person may have very, very different views. And frankly, a lot of times the average person is not even, fo- you know, they're much more focused on feeding their family and trying to educate their kids and get a good job or whatever. So the reason why I bring it up is that, you know, it's just, it's so palpable there I certainly have a high desire because you know I always talk about my definition of freedom at the end of every one of these podcasts uh, the, the the guest interviews right it's my final question and one of the things I always say is that my highest ideal life is freedom and for me that means freedom for all people from oppression everything from that to why I'm an entrepreneur and I have't you know had a uh, boss in, in decades. So for me, being in a place like that and, and and understanding that there's there's a tension and fight over freedom, right? And defined differently by different groups, and and thinking about, you know, and having it be so palpable and thinking about a lot of the answers that I get when I ask that question. And you know, just being clear that, you know, we have this blessing and privilege to talk about, you know, freedom of being an entrepreneur and, and being able to make decisions and do what we want, who we want, when we want, or have the freedom to grow our business or open new businesses, or, you know, live where we want or things like that, that that is such a gift, right? Because other folks are dealing with much more fundamental issues around freedom. And some of the issues that impact just the human nature issues that impact You know, what we think is important about getting business deals done, so impact much bigger issues that affect people's everyday lives on a day-to-day basis. So I'm an, listen, I'm an eternal optimist, whether I'm working on a deal, you know, I'm always optimistic that deal's going to get done. In fact, we have one closing on Monday that is a year delayed uh, from when it was originally going to close for a number of reasons that were outside our control and, and to some extent the client's controls. And I kept telling the, the, the various of the consultants and various other folks on the deals, I really think this deal is going to get done. I really think it's going to close. I still think it's going to close. You still think it's going to close? Yeah, I think it's going to close. And you know, you know what? It's, it's going to close. So again, not equating that, but I am the eternal optimist and I am certainly hopeful that as things evolve, as people evolve, I mean, uh, that situation and not certainly not through efforts of direct efforts of mine, cause I'm not. You know I don't have that uh, those contacts and that and that experience but you know maybe the amazing folks like the William Uries of the world and others will will help find the solution to those super challenging circumstances in the Middle East and our study of human nature there that has me think about how humans negotiate and how humans do deals and and I think there are parallels to what we do to day but that application of that in such a higher stakes and higher impact and adverse impact on various people will come to a positive fruition there as well that's my hope that that deal gets done my hope is that your deals you know get done and that we're able to put aside some of the things in human nature that cut against that and that we do our internal body work which i often talk about and i think that's the biggest thing the more we work on ourselves and transform and do the do the work and get connected with truth the more chances that we get the right deals done for us in a business level, and certainly the more chances that these major issues, you know, that people will be able to move beyond the entrenchment and the filters and everything else and, you know, and get the, those even more important deals done. All right, folks, till next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Quest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to wwwcorycupfercom slash deal den. That's corycupfercom slash deal den. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Cupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.